0: This morning, we're going to continue our study. We're, last week, we started a study and uh, just call it In Search of the Real Jesus. And last week, we, we talked about Jesus being God. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus being man. And, and I want to kind of begin it by just getting real. You know what I mean? All of us sometimes get overcome with situations and circumstances, right? I mean, sometimes life just gets too heavy. I'm beeping in and out, and i got to get myself fixed. And if you hear my dog barking over here, I don't pay attention to it, because i got one that barks just like that at home, okay? But uh, he'll get tired of barking in a few minutes, and we'll go from there. But uh, a lot of times, people get overcome with circumstances and situations. And, they, and when I say they, I really mean we. We tend to look around... And we tend to think that nobody understands where I'm at at this moment. you ever been there? Not only do they not understand, they don't know what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm feeling. I'm all by myself. I don't see any way out. you ever been there? Now, I want you to answer, but are you there right now? What happens is we start to feel alone. We start to feel alienated. We, 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 we feel cut off. And a lot of times it's because our world's crashing or has already crashed. And what happens is the stress levels kind of begin to build and they pick up and they, and they, they go off the charts. And, and, and we start to struggle with, with just the teeny tiny details of life. And we begin to wonder how in the world are we going to survive? And what ultimately happens is we begin to think that nobody understands or nobody cares, or nobody can really help me. you ever been there? We feel helpless, and we feel hopeless. And the reality is, I've asked it twice already if you've ever been there, but all of us have been there. We've all been in that place where we felt by ourselves, where we felt defeated, where we felt whipped. Where we're ready to quit. Now, those feelings of helplessness and hopelessness are the enemy's biggest tools. You do realize that, don't you? He wants you to believe, and he wants me to believe, that we're all by ourselves, that we're alone. That there's nobody out there that understands what I'm going through. Nobody else out there has ever been through it. You're the only one. I, I mean, I've basically, I'll just be honest with you, I've heard him say that to me. Nobody else knows what you're going through. You're it. You're the only one in the world in the history of the world. And I, and you know how you start to listen to that stuff and you start to nod your head and you start to believe that. And, and so he feeds that to you. But the reality is, folks, he wants to separate us from the rest of the human race. He wants to separate us from our friends. He wants to separate us from the people that we work with. He wants to separate us from our family, from our church. Because if he can separate us, we will be somewhat all by ourselves. Do you know what the Bible says about the devil? It says he's a liar. And it says he's the father of all lies. So if he's telling you that, guess what that is? You've got to say it with me. It's a lie. And we need to remember that we're not helpless. We're not hopeless. There's one person who fully understands exactly where we are, how we got there, and what the pathway is from where we are to where we need to be. There's one person who understands and knows all that stuff. You know what his name is? It's Jesus. Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus being God. Jesus being the one who created us. Who made everything that we see. uh, How he was all-powerful and all-knowing. And he's everywhere at one time. But you know what? Jesus is not just God. The God who created us and formed every one of us in our mother's womb. Jesus also feels the feelings that we feel. You realize that? He understands the things that we're going through. He understands the emotions. He remembers the pain. And whether you believe this or not, He's been where you're at right now. Maybe not the exact situation, but in a situation very similar. You may feel rejected. Jesus was rejected. Just, just read the New Testament. He was rejected by the people that knew him, by the people that didn't know him, by his own family. He was rejected. Jesus understood rejection. You may feel by yourself right now. You may feel all alone. Jesus was forsaken by humanity. And even at a point when he was on the cross, God turned his back on Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus understands what it's like to feel by yourself, to be all alone. You may feel that things are just too tough. You ever been there? There have been some days when I've had that party. You know what? It's just too, I think I'll just quit. I think I'll just throw in the towel. I'll just give up. You know what? Jesus battled that same emotion on the night before He was to be crucified in that garden. It's too tough. It's hard. And He battled those emotions. He battled those feelings. You may feel that way. And you may be at that place where the the challenge you face seem to be overcoming you. Jesus understands. Jesus got tired. He understands what weariness is. And fatigue. He understands what fatigue does to a human being. Jesus became tired, he became weary, he became worn out, as we would say. Jesus understands all that stuff. Jesus understands and grasps the whole array of emotions and feelings that we experience. And we don't think about that very often. But the reality is, he does. He understands it because he knows what it's like to be human see, I've had people come up and say, well, Nelson, I know what you're going through. Well, no, you, you don't know what I'm going through because you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. You know what? Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be a human being. You know, you really to really experience something, to know something, not just know something in your head, but to, to know it in here, you have to experience it. You have to walk through it. And to experience humanity... You have to be a human being. Amen? You know, as, as, as much as I love my dog, okay? This one's beginning to wear on me out here. <laughs> but as much as I love my dog, I don't know how my dog feels, okay? Now, I, can tell, I know when he's hungry because that's exactly what he does, okay? But I don't know how he feels. And I'll never know how he feels because I'm not a dog. I'm a human being. Jesus knows what we feel. He understands the emotions that we have because He became human. Okay? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Now, I'm not going to be able to explain how He did it. Alright? But I'm going to explain why He did it. The how is beyond human explanation. The why is not, though. The greatest miracle, I think, in all the Bible is the incarnation. That's when God became flesh. Now, without the incarnation, we won't have salvation. We won't have the second coming. We won't have any of the great things that all of us look forward to Are blessed by without the incarnation. Without God becoming flesh, we can't experience salvation. We can't experience freedom from bondage. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, I understand the why, but I don't understand the how. We all know the story of Christmas. We all know, we can all tell the story of how the baby was born in the manger there in Bethlehem, and how the shepherds came, and how they, how they praised, and how the angels uh, uh, just appeared in the skies and began to worship, and how the wise men came and offered the gifts. We understand that, that Jesus was the king. But too often we don't grasp that He really is. And I'm not going to say was. He really is human. Okay, that, We say it, well, yes, He's God and He's man. But we really just don't grasp that. It, it doesn't become ours. Well, he, yeah, but He's not like me. Well, yeah, He is like us. With one exception. Jesus was born without a sin nature. He was born like Adam was created. Okay, let me, let me put it that way. He was born like Adam was created. Adam had the choice. We don't have the choice. We're born in sin. Sin it has been imputed to us. It, it, it fills our genes and our DNA. Okay, that's just the way it is. We're, we're born with no hope. I mean, say, Nelson, I, I came for an uplifting sermon. I'm just being honest with you this morning. When we're born into this world, as far as eternity goes, we have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. We're born with a disease called sin that will destroy us if we don't find the remedy for it. And there's only one cure, and His name is Jesus. Now, Jesus... Became flesh. We, 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 I don't understand how that happened. I know what Scripture says, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit placed the Son of God, Spirit of God placed the Son of God in the womb of a woman. Now, I was going to give you this great long uh, biological explanation. But I just sat down and I thought, "I I don't understand the biological explanation. I understand the mechanics and all that kind of stuff, but still, it just doesn't make sense to me. But the Holy Spirit placed the Son of God in that egg, and it became a cell, and it began to multiply. And God, eternal God, united with humanity and became flesh. Now folks, Jesus is one hundred percent God. Okay? He always has been and he always will be. But at that moment God took on humanity and he became flesh. He's not always been flesh, but he will always be humanity. He will always be flesh. Do you you grasp that? That boggles my mind. God, a very God, became like me. And though He's in His resurrected body right now, He's still like me. And He will always be like me. With one little bitty exception. He has no sin. Folks, let me tell you something this morning. It's not part of my sermon right now, but you know what? You can be like Him. If you give your life to Him, He will take your sin. And one day when He comes for us, we will be separated completely from that sin. We won't ever be God. But sin will no longer afflict us or affect us. In that moment... I don't know where it was at. I don't know if it was in Mary's living room. I don't know. I don't have a clue where it took place. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God overshadowed the power of the Most High overshadowed her. And the Word became flesh. And for nine months, Mary carried Jesus in her womb. Now, Jesus... When he became man, I want you to understand this, he had two natures. He had the nature of God and the nature of man. Now, two separate natures in one person. That's the best I can do in explaining it, okay? They weren't mixed. He wasn't God-man. He was the God-man. Okay? Now, I can't tell you how it happened. But I can't tell you why. I want you to listen to me. It happened. The why of that question is because God loves you. That's it. Bottom line. God loves you. John 3.16, the very first part of that verse. All of you know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loved us so much that He would unite Himself with our humanity so that He could identify with us in every way except our sin. I mentioned a few minutes ago that that Jesus was born without sin. He was born with a choice, a, a, a choice in a sense. He could choose. He was born like Adam was created. John bears witness of this truth. I'm going to give you a couple of three verses here. And and I just want to make the point that the Bible teaches that Jesus was a human being. That He was just like us. In John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. The Logos, the the one who spoke creation into existence, became a part of. Of creation, He became a flesh. And it says, and dwelt. And that word dwelt there means He pitched His tent. He tabernacled. Whenever uh, someone in the first century would travel, uh, very often they would take a tent. And when they got to a place where they, they wanted to spend time, they would pitch their tent. And that's what Jesus did. He pitched His tent with us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, "We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the unique one, the one of a kind." You see, Jesus was one of a kind. There's never been anyone who was God who became flesh, and folks, there never will be another. He is unique in that sense. Then it says this, full of grace and truth. John later writes in the first in his uh, in the epistle of First John, in John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 3. I love this, this verse because it, it's, just, it's just real. He says, What was from the beginning we have heard? In other words, we heard what was supposed to happen. What we have seen with our eyes, and this is the part I like, what we beheld and our hands handled. You see, John touched Jesus. John hugged Jesus. John knew what it was like to lean back on Jesus. Jesus wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a freak. He was a human being. He was real, flesh and blood. When you touched Him, you could feel the warmth of His body. When you looked at Him, you could see a, a, a person just like any other person. He had two eyes, two ears. Hair on his head, a neck, a head, shoulders, arms, legs, a body. He was, well, i just, I got to fight that, that thought off. When I was a, well, I'll tell you a little bit of it. When I was a student pastor, I had a student ask a question. We were talking about the reality of Jesus, and I said he was real. And I'm going to leave it at that. But that's what we, we don't think he really was. We think, well, he looked like us for a while. Folks, he, was, he became us. And He didn't just become us for a short time, 33 and a half years. He is still us. And He will be us forever and ever and ever and ever. When He united with us, folks, He became one of us. Paul put it this way. Paul writes in a little bit deeper vein in a sense, but not really. He says this in Philippians chapter two, verse five and eight. He says, "Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus." And then, then Paul begins to explain how Jesus became flesh. He says, "Who, although he existed in the form of God, and that's that's the Greek way of saying he was God. He didn't just he, he wasn't he didn't look like God. He was God. That's what Paul's saying." In the form of God. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He set aside his God attributes. And you've heard me talk about this. He never gave them up. He never ceased to be God for a minute. He chose not to use those things. For those 33 and a half years he was on this planet. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man. There's three different ways Paul makes his point. He took the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in the appearance as a man. I mean, there's no clear way to say what Paul's trying to say. Jesus was human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even on a cross. Now, for me, that that always elicits a question: How in the world could that be? You ever ask that question? How? How could that be? And that, you know what? That's the same question that Mary asked when the angel appeared to her and said, uh, "You're you're going to bear a child, and you're to name his name Jesus." Uh, how can that be? I, I'm a virgin. I, I've never known a man. In that kind of relationship. How can that be? Folks, that's the testimony of Scripture. Listen to what Luke... This is how Luke puts it. In verse 1, chapter 35, he says, And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High... In, in, In Hebrew, the Most High is the power of El Elyon, the God Most High, will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. This is the testimony of Scripture, folks. Jesus is God, and He became man. Now, if you want to know more details on the how, that would be a good question to ask when you get to heaven. Okay? And I'm sure there will be time to ask that question, but I can't give them to you. I know... I don't know how, but I know why. Because He loves us. And folks, He loves us. He loves you with an everlasting love. And He loved us so much that He knew it was the only way that He could rescue us. That He could redeem us. That He could reunite us in a relationship with God the Father. Folks, Jesus' mission was a rescue mission. He didn't just come to to see how this... Human thing was, he came with a purpose, and it was to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us. And the only way he could fulfill that mission was to come in person. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit next week about Jesus as Savior, and I'm going to get into a little bit more about the, the rescue mission. But today, I just I just want to talk to him, uh, talk to you uh, as as, as the, the issue of he was human. He was one of us. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but Jesus went through the the gestation process, the birthing process. Think about that. God is being born in the same way that every other little baby has ever been born. And when he was born, Jesus was helpless. Mary and Joseph had to feed him or he didn't get anything to eat. Angels didn't just appear and, and, and feed him angel food and 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 the milk out of God's refrigerator. They didn't just show up to, to nurse the baby, okay? He ate just like every other little baby has eaten since the beginning and will eat until the end. And whether you believe this or not, Jesus messed up his diapers. He cried when he was hungry. He probably cried when his diapers were dirty. He was helpless. God put his son in the care of a teenage girl and a young guy. He was helpless. His parents, when he was eight days old, took him to the temple. It was a requirement that they go and that they offer a sacrifice. Now, that could be a lamb... Or if they were too poor, it could be two turtle doves. They were we know they were poor because that's what they offered was two turtle doves. And on that day Jesus was circumcised. It was it was a part of his culture, a part of the religious ritual. It meant that he was now a child of the covenant. He was under the covenant of God. They did it just like they did every other little Jewish boy. He grew from an infant into a little boy. Some of you have little boys, or you've had little boys. Guess what? He did most of the same things that little boys we have today did then. He tried things that, that he probably would have been better did he not try. I don't know if he leaned the ladder up against the house and jumped off. I don't know if he threw rocks at things. He didn't need to throw rocks there. I don't know that, but he was, he was a little boy, and he acted like a little boy. He learned to speak words. He learned to make sounds first. Then he learned to speak words. And he learned to string those words together in sentences. And his his mother got just as excited as we get when the first time he said, Mama. Or Abba. Daddy. See, Jesus was just like us. Like all little boys in his culture, he memorized Scripture. Now, this is what fascinates me when I, The Word of God. Okay? The God whose Word is here had to memorize it. Had to learn it as a human being. Just like we learned it. A phrase, a sentence, a verse, a chapter. And that was a big deal in their culture. You, you memorized large portions of the Torah, the first five books of Moses. He memorized his own words. He grew into a teenager. He learned correctly as a teenager how to handle his emotions. Okay, He went through puberty, just like all of us go through puberty. Everything that, that we go through as human beings, he went through. As a young man, he, he learned the carpenter trade from, from his father Joseph. He knew what it was to have achy muscles. He knew what it was to to get hungry. He knew what it was to be weary and tired. He knew what it was to sleep and to dream. Folks, my point is is that he experienced life just like we experience life. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. I'm not sure if this, this may be up here. It says, And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is precedes the last biblical account that we have of Jesus as a child. You remember that story. His family goes down to Jerusalem. They've gone down, Jesus is twelve years old. They've gone down to, to celebrate Passover, which was a requirement for every Jewish male. Uh, you had to go to you had to go to Passover and there's some other Jewish holidays you had to celebrate. And so Jesus and and Joseph and Mary and their family, they go down to, to Jerusalem. They go from up in the Galilee area from Nazareth down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and it's very likely at this celebration Jesus had his bar mitzvah. Okay, we we, we separate him from his culture, but bar mitzvahs were a part uh, of of a Jewish boy's life. It was a big deal. It was the it was the day when he reached when his twelfth birthday that that he stood up and he declared the Torah and he did the things that his culture dictated that He do. And then they said, You are now Son of the Covenant. You are a man. And it's very likely that on this trip to Jerusalem, He went through His bar mitzvah. Well, they got ready to go. And they're traveling with friends and families, and their group pulls out. Mom and Dad leave, but guess who they left at the rest area? Jesus. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done that, or how close you've come to doing that. But I can just remember being separated from my mom and daddy for about... Five minutes one time when I was a kid, about this age. Uh, it seemed like a lot longer five minutes. They went two days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which tells me he probably had some brothers and some sisters that had to be taken care of. And he was 12 years old. He was, whether you, you know, I don't know that, that we would do this today with our children, but a 12-year-old in that day was was pretty mature in the sense that they, they had a lot of responsibility. And if he had brothers and sisters, and I, I think that he did, Scripture says later that he did, He, he you know, mom and dad depended on him. He, he was already learning the trade, so he was pretty responsible. And so it's it's not that big a deal that they don't notice it, but two days out, they realize, hey, where's Jesus? They begin to question, begin to run around, and and... Nobody's seen Jesus, and all of a sudden, I mean, I'm just going to put myself in their place. They become a little terrified, so they retrack their trip. It's exactly what you do when you leave a child in a rest area. Okay, I hope none of you've ever done that. I haven't, but uh, but I've heard stories, and so they go back to the last place they saw him, and guess where that was at? It was in the temple he was sitting with the with the the religious leaders and and the rabbis and and they were talking and he was talking as as one of them who understood and and it says this in chapter in, in verse 52 of, of luke in, in chapter 2 it says and jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with god and men i guess after the the terror of losing their son had subsided. I'm I'm just going to step out on a limb, but I'll bet mom chewed him out. Okay, I, I mean she's a human being. I bet Joseph gave him an earful too. But the 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 thing is that Jesus, Luke records, kept increasing in wisdom, and in stature and in favor. He kept growing mentally and emotionally. He kept growing physically. And his favor with God and with people kept increasing. My point in all of that is, is that Jesus grew up just like every other kid did. He didn't just appear full grown, pop, and there he was doing miracles. He just didn't. He didn't just, you know, blow in and blow out like the wind. Folks, he experienced life like we do. He felt the same emotions, the same joy, the same grief. The same happiness, the same sadness, the same excitement, the same letdowns. And he felt them in the same way that we do. Folks, he was rejected. And we forget this too often. He was rejected. He was made fun of in his hometown. He was bullied. Okay? Now, I'm not going to get into the bully discussion, but here's what my daddy told me. Okay? He said, son, you turn their nose up where it will rain in them, and they won't bully you no more. I know that's not a good word for every kid. I understand that, okay? So I'm not giving advice in that area. But bullying has been going on since the beginning of time. He was bullied. You know why he was bullied? Because there was some question about who his daddy was. It follows him into adulthood. If it's there in his adulthood, it was there in his childhood. And so he knew what it was to be made fun of. He knew what it was to be rejected. Jesus understood how it felt to be the target of abuse. Physical, mental, and verbal. He, he understood that. Folks, he felt the sting of being called names. He knew what that was like. He laughed. He cried. He shouted. He whispered. He ran. He ran. He walked, he fell down, he, he bruised his knees, and his elbows got wrong. He jumped up and down. Folks, he was human, is my point. Fully and completely human. That's why Paul can say in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, I know some of you are going, well, how do you know Paul's the writer of Hebrews? Well, that's what I believe, okay? So I'm going to teach what I believe. Paul writes these words, Therefore, why, why did he put there? because Jesus shared in our flesh and blood our humanness. that's what the verse 14 further back says he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God so that he could make propitiation and that word propitiation means he had to satisfy God's wrath. He had to pay the price. For our sins. He had to atone for us. That's what propitiate He had to make satisfaction for God. For the sins of the people. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He had suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Do you hear what that verse says? Because Jesus became flesh like us, He can come to our aid. He can help us. No matter the situation, or the circumstance we find ourselves in. Jesus offers every one of us exactly what we need in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Folks, He became our sacrifice. He didn't just become our sacrifice. He became our sin. The Bible says that He who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just take that sin on his back. He became that sin. I don't understand that either. But the same why applies. Why? Because he loves us. He became sin. And he became our sacrifice. And folks, he made atonement with God for us. And as a result, Scripture teaches that he became our high priest. Now, we don't, we're not in a Religious group that has priests. Okay, so we the priesthood something we don't really understand a great deal. But the high priest stood in between humanity and divinity. He met, he spoke for God to the people, but he spoke for the people to God. It's it's, it's a beautiful picture, and folks. Jesus became our high priest. He wasn't speaking to God as God. He was speaking to God as a human being. A human being who understood his brothers and his sisters, who understood their weariness, who understood their sinfulness, who understood their weaknesses. He had no sin, but he understood exactly where we were at. Folks, we were helpless and we were hopeless without Jesus. And so Jesus came and He took on humanity so that we would never be helpless or hopeless again. But to do that, He had to become one of us. He had to be real flesh and He had to be real blood. Jesus had to become human so that he could speak our language. And I don't, I don't mean that in the sense that he spoke Hebrew or Greek or English or whatever. He had to become human so that, that he could understand what humanity was like, what it was like. I, I, several, well, it's been a long time ago, but I, I used to do work for a lady in Birmingham. She was a rather wealthy lady. And uh, she lived up on top of the mountain in Birmingham in a beautiful brownstone house. And, and, and she had a Hispanic couple that worked for her. They, the lady did her house cleaning. And, and, and the lady's husband did the yard work, kept up the carpentry work. She rented rooms to students. And so there was a lot of maintenance work going on. And this couple, there every time I, I remember going, they were there. They were sweet as they could be. Now, the lady was a little eccentric, Okay. And she spoke with that South Alabama bluebud accent. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Miss Hannah. I, mean, I could just listen to it all day long. I mean, I really could. It's just beautiful. But, but she was a very well educated lady. Uh, she spoke French. And every year she would go to France so that she could work on her French trying to get rid of the South Alabama dialect. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, she she understood language. But every time she would talk to this couple, she would forget all about her language. You see, she understood the dynamics of language and what you had to learn and how verbs are parsed, all that kind of stuff. But this couple understood just a little English. And they didn't speak English very well either. So, what she would do is, she would speak English very loud and very slow. It was almost like watching a cartoon. And they would just look at her like she'd come from another planet. Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter how loud and how slow you speak, if you don't use words I understand, it doesn't make any sense. Now, they had worked for long enough that they understood what she wanted, and and, and so there was no problem. But in her mind, if I just speak louder and I speak slower, one of these days, poof, they'll understand. And folks, the reality of it is, if you don't understand the language and you've never been taught the basics of the language, you won't ever understand it. Jesus became flesh because the only way for Him to truly understand who we are, the, the, that, that hidden stuff of who we are as human beings, He had to become human like us. Does that make sense? He had to become human so he could speak the language. So that he could be the high priest that he needed to be. God became flesh because no matter how long God wrote it in a book, we still couldn't find a way of escape from sin. It had been here since the beginning. The soul that sinneth must die. The only way for for sin to be paid for is because of blood. But we couldn't understand the simplicity with which God was speaking, so God sent someone to translate it into the, the verbiage that we use. And Jesus didn't just translate it. Jesus gave us a living example of what it looked like. Jesus died on that cross. I can look at the cross and I can see Jesus on it and realize He is there because of my sin. This is the only way out. There is no other answer. There is no other way. And so Jesus became flesh so that He could communicate that way of escape in a language, folks, that every one of us can understand. He did it because the only way you can do that is to become one of us. You can talk about it, but you can't become it unless you become human. And so Jesus became human. I love the way 1 Corinthians 10.13 puts it. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. Folks, what we go through, how we're tempted, when we're pressed into that place where we want to give up, all of those things are common. And we need to remember that, okay? We have that in common as human beings. All of those things are common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Folks, how how could He know unless He, he became one of us? He understands there's a line where I can't stand anymore, so He doesn't allow it to go any further past that. Because He endured the temptations. We can endure it then because He endured it. But He didn't endure it as God. Folks, he endured it as a man. When he was tempted in the desert, when Satan came to him and tempted him, we know three times. There may have been a lot more. Jesus endured it not as God, but as a man. When he when he was in the garden that night, and he was praying, God, if if, if there be any other way, if there be any other way, but not your not my will, Lord, but your will. Folks, He wasn't enduring that. He wasn't sweating droplets of blood as God. He was sweating droplets of blood as a man. When they nailed Him to the cross, folks, when those nails went in His flesh, He was enduring that as a man. When that spear pierced His side, it was as a man. He felt that pain. He endured that agony. Why? Because He loves us. And he was translating the love of God into a language that every one of us can understand. Folks, he fully experienced our experience, yet without sin. Even, Scripture says, to the point of death. As a man, Jesus died. He died. So therefore as a, as our high priest he's really all we need in any circumstance or any situation because he's been there. He in him we find exactly what we need at the exact moment we need it. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 says. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted "...in all things as we are, yet without sin." Let me read that again. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been there. He's done that. He's got the t-shirt. But we have one who's been tempted in all things. The word all means all. All things. "...as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You're going through something today in your life that you think nobody else has ever gone through? Then draw near to Jesus because He can sympathize with you. He's gone through it. That's what that passage is saying. And not only has, has He felt it, not only has He experienced it, but because He has... I can go into that throne room knowing that He won't boot me out. That He won't kick me to the curb. That He won't say, Nelson, you're beyond help. I can go into that throne room confident that I'll get exactly what I need. I'll get grace. I'll get mercy. I'll get help. I won't get condemnation. I won't. I may come with fear, but I won't leave with fear. I may come terrified, but you know what? I will leave if I go into that throne room. I will leave with exactly what I need. I'll leave with confidence. I'll leave with boldness. I'll leave with an answer. You may be saying, well, how in the world can that be possible, preacher? You don't know where I'm at or what I've done or what I've been through. And you know what? I don't. I don't. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you're at right now. But Jesus does. Jesus does. I'm not preaching this morning, come to me and I can help you. I'm preaching this morning, come to Jesus and He will help you. He is the answer. I'm not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, verse 9. In the days of His flesh, in the days of Jesus' flesh, when He was, when he was here on earth, when He walked like we walk, when He, when he felt like we felt, when He, when he had the emotions that, that we had, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and with tears to the One who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His piety, because of His maturity. That's what the word means. Although He was a son... He learned obedience from the things He suffered. And having been made perfect, made perfect, I mean He's God, made perfect as a man, He became to all those who obey Him the source of eternal salvation. And the word salvation there means more than being saved. It means delivered. He is deliverance. Eternal deliverance. No matter what situation or circumstance I'm in, he is deliverance. He is the way out of my situation, my circumstance, my hard spot. If I'll just trust Him and obey Him and do what He's telling me to do, He will walk me out of it and back into the light. Out of the darkness into the light. Folks, Jesus knows and He knows it through His own experience as a human being. He learned how to be obedient because he suffered through life just like we suffered through it, and we are suffering through it. And then it says, it says in this passage, though he through the suffering, he matured. And folks, that's why we can say this morning, he's everything we need. He's everything I need in every situation that I'm in. Folks, Jesus is God. Amen. He's God. That's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches He's always been God. He will always be God. But but I love what it says in Galatians, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son who became flesh. And because He understands what life is like as God, He even understands it even better now because He is flesh. Folks, the God who lavishes His own unconditional love on us, stepped off His throne and He stepped into our humanity. Folks, He put on our skin. He lived in our shoes. He lived in our shoes. He wore our clothes. He ate our food. He died on our cross. Why? Because He loves us. That's it. There's no selfish motive. There's no behind the scene motive other than to show us how much He loves us. Folks, Jesus is God. Yes, He is. But Jesus is also human. I just want you to know something this morning. I want you to hear me. All of us struggle. Okay, you've heard me say this over and over and over and over. We're all cracked pots. We're all broken bases. Nobody in here has it all together. I don't. I may be the most cracked pot of the whole bunch, okay? That's just reality. I mean, we all struggle. We're flesh. But what I've found out is that I'm not by myself, I'm not helpless, and I'm not hopeless. Because I have a Savior who knows what it's like to walk in my shoes. And who's taken my shoes and now offers me His. I don't have to walk in my shoes anymore. I can walk in His. And when I can't walk, guess what He'll do? He'll carry me for as long as I need it. He'll bear up my burdens. He'll take care of me right where I am. He'll get me through whatever the situation or the circumstance is. I'll just trust Him. I'll just trust Him. Folks, this is what God's calling us to this morning. It's just to trust Him. Trust Him for right now, for today. Today has enough problems of its own. Tomorrow comes soon enough. But you know what? When we get to tomorrow, He's got the answer for tomorrow. Six months down the road, He's got the answer to that. For a year from now, He's got the answer to that. Why? Because he loves us. That's it. He loves us. We are his children folks, his sons and his daughters. And he wants to take care of us. I know there's some in here this morning that have never trusted him. and you may be thinking yes that sounds well and good, but that's just a little bit too good to be true. It is. Okay, let me just be honest with you. It is too good to be true, but it is true. Folks, we've got a a disease that none of us have the cure for. It's called sin. We got it from our mamas and daddies, and they got it from their mama and daddies, and they got it from their mama and daddies, and they all got it from Adam and Eve. And apart from Jesus Christ, there's no cure. But through Jesus Christ... When we trust Him, folks, He takes our sin. And in return, we take on His righteousness. Not our righteousness, it's His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. Folks, He paid the debt. Remember the, the, the verse a few minutes ago where it said He made propitiation? Big, long word that most of us never heard of. It means He satisfied God's wrath. He paid the price. He did what was necessary so that I could go free. Folks, He died for me. And He died for you. And this morning, He offers freedom from whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever sin has got you all entangled. He offers freedom for that. And all we have to do is simply give it to Him and trust Him and believe in Him. Believe that He is who He says He is. And He's done what He says He's done. I really believe God wants to give somebody life this morning. A new kind of life. Free from the penalty of death. See, that was our penalty apart from Christ. It was a death penalty. Jesus bore that death penalty for us. And in exchange, folks, He gives us life. Scripture says that life is eternal. It doesn't have an end. But it's also abundant. It begins right now. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.EaglesWingChurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.